Bibles and open them up with me to the book of Acts, chapter 8. Acts, chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, please grab one from or a seat close by in front of you. And we're going to check your night reading skills. There we go. Acts chapter 8, as we continue again our study through the, the history of the early church from its very beginnings, from Jesus' ascension and his sending out of his d- disciples, the, the, the beginning with the Great Commission, and, and we've studied through this in these first seven chapters, and, and last week we looked at a man named Stephen who... Uh, was given the task in the initial, the early church, as we looked at in chapter 6. He was one of the seven that were, that were given the job of administrating some of the duties that were, that were the everyday tasks within the early church as it grew, and the apostles realized they could no longer take on all of these responsibilities. One of the first deacons, if you would, in the church, and, and after he was faithful in that work, and after a period of time, we saw that God used him in a very powerful way to bring the word of God to a group of, a group of people there in Jerusalem, in the synagogue of the freedmen, and we talked of that last week. It ended up at resulting in Stephen being brought before the Sanhedrin, the council, and then taken out after he gave this beautiful, eloquent message to them and called them to repentance instead of repenting. They, they drug him out, in, out into the, outside the city and they stoned him to death. And we were introduced at that time to a gentleman named Saul who will... We later know as Paul, in the author of a good majority of the, the New Testament that we hold in our hands, but prior to his conversion, he was, he was probably a member of that council. And it tells us that he was standing there as Stephen was being stoned and people were putting their, those that were throwing the stones at him, taking their cloaks off, their, their outer garments, and laying them at his feet as Stephen is being executed, and we pick up in chapter eight now. There is no chapter break. Luke didn't stop and, you know, and start chapter eight and then begin. This is one letter as it's continuing to go through, and we'll see as the, it, chapter eight picks up right on the heels of that. In verse one, it says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, that is Stephen, to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He put them in prison. We're going to see in, in chapter 9, the conversion of Saul, his, his, his encounter with Jesus and his surrender to the Lord Jesus. But as we see him here, we see a very different man. We see a man, as it says, giving hearty approval to Stephen's execution. One who, it says, ravaged the church, and that word is used as to, as to a wild animal, tearing something apart. That is the, the veracity that he was going after this. And when he writes to the church in Philippi, he said, I went after the church, persecuting the church with zeal. 
Now, it's good to be zealous. It's good to have passion. It's good to be radical, as long as you're not radically wrong. <laughs> and even, even if, the, if the cause is right, we have to be very careful that we don't get caught up in the idea of being radical and lose the whole point of what we're being radical about. And that, is so, that can so easily happen. We see it happening a lot. We see it happening all over the place. You remember the term Jesus freaks? Remember that that became a, a real popular thing a while ago in the song and the whole deal? It's good to be a Jesus freak as long as the focus is Jesus and not being a freak. And that can be the problem. There has been so much damage done to the cause of Christ by people with misguided radicalness, if that's a word. If it's not, I just made it up. <laughs> Being, losing the focus. It, it, all of them started off right. Yeah, it's all about Jesus. But if we're not careful, all of a sudden it becomes all about us. Look at how radical I am. Instead of... Look at how radical Jesus is, and I'm a follower of his. It's great to be on fire for Jesus, as long as the fire isn't our bonfire, to take a look, look at, look at us, look at us. Can never lose sight of what it is all about. And when we look at Saul here, understand that he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was pleasing God. But he ignored all of the stop signs. He ignored all of the pressure that the Holy Spirit was placing on him saying, Saul, you're wrong. You're wrong. Listen to the truth. Again, when Jesus comes to him, he says, Saul, Saul, isn't it hard to be kicking against the goads? Pushing back on, 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 the, on the, the Holy Spirit as he is leaning on you and pressing in on you. We see in here this, this, this man, zealous, but notice it says that he's ravaging the church. He's the one out in front. He's the one that is, that is leading the damage. Again, when he lays it all out, later on we're going to see as he describes what he was doing, carrying them off to prison we see here, but it says that he even caused some to blaspheme, to speak against Jesus, and no doubt that later on would be the things that just tore his heart out. But one other thing to notice about Saul, if you were going to pick somebody, knowing Saul, you're going to pick somebody that would be the last one to come to Jesus, it would be Saul, right? Based on his reaction, his, his anger, and his anger being stirred up. You heard the statement probably before where you throw a, a rock into a pack of wild dogs, the one that yelps loudest is the one that got hit. Well, Saul's yelping the loudest. <laughs> and again, no doubt, because the Holy Spirit keeps touching that spot in his heart. And I say that to say that we probably all have those that we witness to, that we share with, that we, that we're, that we continually go to. And at first, maybe it was kind of like, yeah, 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 okay. But now it's gotten to the point where it's, don't ever talk to me about that again. And they're angry. Anybody have anybody like that in their life? Don't give up on them. They might be the ones that are closest and the reason that they're so angry and, and so it, it, it furious about it is because of the internal war that is going on. The Holy Spirit just won't let them go. Keep praying. 
keep sharing, keep living the witness. No doubt again, as we will see, and I'll try to make note as we go through, somebody who had a huge impact on Saul, later Paul's future ministry, Stephen, no doubt about it, as he witnessed what took place there, tearing him up. One other piece with that, so many people say, well, God can't, God can't use me because of my past. You know, I, I, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and, and I, can, I, can, I can maybe serve in the coffee ministry or, or, or something along those lines, but God could never use me in a radical way. I could be like a, like a deacon or a, doing that type of work in the church, but God could never use me like as an evangelist or taking that out because, because you, just, you don't know my past. Look at Saul's past. Look at, look at what, look, he was actively persecuting the church. He was, he was in full favor of, of, of Christians being executed. And God will use him to be the greatest evangelist ever. Paul will later write in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he says as he's writing to Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. And with faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. But verse 16 says, yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. You're not disqualified for amazing ministry because of what happened in your past. Your past is behind you. If you're a believer here in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is all forgiven, and he wants to take that and use it for his glory. There's ministry opportunities that you have because of your past that others don't have because they don't share that past. Now, this is not a commercial for you young people to go out and build your testimony. <laughs> the greatest testimony, young people, listen, the greatest testimony that you can have is a life that followed the Lord from your youth. But those of you, those of us, who have those things that God rescued us out of, God wants to use those things and open up doors of opportunity for us to show the grace of God. None of it is earned. Grace is unmerited, unearned favor, and God wants to use us, those of us who have been forgiven much, to show the grace of God to a world that needs to be forgiven much. It's amazing that Paul will use the word grace 120 times in the letters that he writes. The world needs to know that, it's a, that we serve a God of grace and a God of love, a God of mercy. 
Well, we see these, these things laid out for us in, in Saul, but notice too that the, 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 the focus is going to shift off of Saul again until we get to chapter 9. And the focus now, we look at the church, what is taking place in the church. It tells us that this great persecution began with the stoning of Stephen, and this persecution spread quickly throughout Jerusalem. And the believers were scattered. No, remember, there are thousands of believers in Jesus. And it tells us that, they are, that they're scattered. They're sent, they're sent fleeing from Jerusalem. And God uses this event and this persecution to get his church moving, to get the people moving in the direction that he needs them and wants them to go. He takes something that is a, a horrible thing and he still uses it for his glory and he gets his church moving, he gets his people moving. And I know personally, I can look back on the moment that God used to get me moving. Can you, can you identify that in your life? And perhaps I'm speaking to a few of you today. What is God doing in your life right now that is he's trying to get you moving? And, and you're fighting against that. And you're pushing against that. And you're resisting that. You look at it as, oh, this, it's some horrible thing. It's some terrible thing. That, you know, maybe it's, you lost your job. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe whatever it might be. And you're looking at this as, 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 as a roadblock. And God is saying, no, I will take that and use it for my glory if you let me. If you were here yesterday morning, men's breakfast, you heard, a, you heard an awesome message on how God is looking for people to stand in the gap. And understanding that we can't do that on our own. We stand in the gap with the one who stood in the gap for us. And it was a fantastic message. If you were not here, watch for it. It'll be posted on the men's page on the website soon. But what is God trying to do in your life, showing you in your life to get you moving? <laughs> he did that here because he told them back in Acts chapter 1, we looked at this several weeks ago, he said, you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, even the remotest parts of the earth. The problem is they were still hanging out in Jerusalem. And God used this now to get them going. And I love this as we look at at verse 4, it says, therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. They didn't give up. They didn't go into hiding. They didn't say, this is not what I signed up for. I'm, I'm all good with the, you know, the, the prosperity that I was promised. I'm all good with eternal life. I'm all good with that. I didn't sign up for this. Not one of them said that. It says they went out, they didn't, they didn't go into hiding, they didn't, they didn't stop, they didn't give up. It says they went out preaching the word. The fire spread. <laughs> what the enemy tried to use to snuff out the flame, God used to spread it like wildfire. What the enemy tries to do to bring into our lives again as roadblocks God allows to happen, and he said, again, give it to me, and I will, I, he said, I'll be glorified, and you will be blessed as you just follow what I'll, I'll do with that. How many, how many know who Dave Reaver is? Anybody, a few? 
He, he was a man in, in Vietnam. I, I saw a chapel that he did in my high school when I was like a junior or senior. impacted me greatly. His story is an amazing one. His ministry still goes on, I believe. But he was, he was fighting in Vietnam, and he was in a boat going down a river, and there was active fighting, active gunfire being exchanged. He pulled a, the pin on a phosphorus grenade, and as he was about to throw it, a sniper's bullet hit it, and it blew up right beside his head. And phosphorus, then, his whole body catches on fire. And so he thinks that he, he'll just jump in the water. Well, he go, gets in the water, but phosphorus doesn't go out. The phosphorus fire does not go out in the water. And so finally, the, a medic pulls him out, wraps him in a blanket, is certain that he's dead. So he grabs his dog tags and are about ready to jam them in his teeth for identification later. And he screams out, Jesus. And the medic was so blown away that he, A, he was still alive, and B, that he called on the name of the Lord, that he gave his life to Jesus. Now, I tell you that because, again, you look at this and you have to listen to his whole testimony, but part of it, I still remember this from back when I was in high school. He said the enemy was sitting there going, I got one of them. And he said, but when he pulled his foot up, there was two of us. (laughs) God will take it and use it. We see, a, we see an example in, in, in Benaiah, one of David's mighty men. I love that story. He's, it tells us that he met an impressive Egyptian. And guys, the enemy that we face and the things that we face are impressive at times. But it says that Benaiah met this impressive Egyptian and he had a spear in his head and Benaiah said, give me that. That's what we gotta do. <laughs> what the enemy wants to use as a roadblock to come against us, we say, God, I give it to you. And in your hands, you do it. <laughs> Look at, t- jump ahead a couple of chapters, chapter 11, verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. I love that. They go out. They say, and a large number. God deals in this awesome multiplication that is going on. Well, verse five, back in chapter six, we, as I mentioned, we were introduced to Stephen. We were also introduced to a man named Philip. And here we see, as it's telling us, we're gonna see now some, some actions, some things that take part in, in Philip's life. We'll look at part one this week and the sequel next week. Notice it says in verse 5, Philip, after four years of undergraduate studies and a PhD in in theology, went, no, no, it just says Philip went. Philip went. He was part of the scattering. He was part of what was taking place, and it just says Philip went. Philip, just like Stephen, didn't have all of this background and all of this other stuff. He was just a man who loved Jesus, who was called to do a task in the early church, and he said, I'll do it, and he did it, and he did it faithfully, and he did it well, and because he was faithful in the little things, God gives him an incredible mission, and it says, he went down to the city of Samaria. Now, 
Samaria is actually north of Jerusalem, but everything to a Jew is down from Jerusalem. So it doesn't matter which direction you're going. He went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip, and they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Notice again, too, that God, again, chooses Philip here to go to Samaria and to impact this this area. And we're going to see here in, in the next few verses that there were some challenges with this ministry. Some things that you might say, wow, that's, that would be above what I would send somebody. I would have sent Peter, knowing what he's going to encounter, but that's not how God works. God sends Philip. He doesn't send Peter. He, Peter and John are going to come in a moment, but he doesn't send them for the initial work. And I, 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 again, I love that. Because the default, often, because I, I've, I've been pastoring now for, for, for a few years, But before that, I sat where you do. And I often would hear a pastor say something like I'm about to say, and I'd say, yeah, great, that's your job, pastor. (laughs) Guess what? It's not. It's the job of the church. It's uh, It's the job of you to take this out to the world. And Philip was obedient in that. It tells us that he was doing signs and wonders, yes, But that's not what changed anybody's life permanently. That's not what brought great joy. What brought great joy, notice it says they heard. They received the word as Philip simply shared with them the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, that he came and he suffered and he died in your place. He paid the full penalty for your sin and if you trust in him and him alone for your salvation, you can have eternal life. All of your sins forgiven. And they're like, yeah, okay. That's what caused the great rejoicing. That is what's taking place here in, in, in our story. And I say this, God can and he will use you if you simply let him. His desire is to use you in your family situation, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. If you will simply say, all right, Whatever it is that you desire to do in me, I'm yours, Lord. The only obstacle we have to the ministry that God desires to do for us is us. we got to get over ourselves (laughs) and trust what it says, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philip was sent to a very unique area. He was sent to the area of the Samaritans, Samaria. And we need to understand a little bit about that because that's significant. And it's significant in the, in the arena that God might be calling you to serve in. You see, Jews hated Samaritans even more than they hated Gentiles. <laughs> because Gentiles or Samaritans were a mixture, if you would, of Gentiles and Jews. Jews that married Gentiles. That was this area in Samaria. And so they They considered them half-breeds. They hated them. They would actually, if they had a journey to do and they had the extra time, they would go around Samaria to avoid it completely. Not Jesus. And we see him in the exchanging with the woman at the well. That happens in Samaria. Philip goes into that area there. 
as the Lord leads and guides, directs him there. And if we're sensitive to that, God will lead us to those who, who we might not necessarily pick to go to. Those that, are, those that are left out, those that others won't go and see. I'm blessed. I am married to a woman who has a heart for those that are left out. Those that, that others might overlook. She has a heart for that. And it's a blessing to me. It challenges me, and oftentimes when we're talking, and she'll be, she'll be talking about an individual or, or a, 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 per, a, a group of people that are, that are left out. She has a huge heart for, for women, but also for women who have been ignored, the, the, the human trafficking issue and all of that. She has such a huge heart for that. And if you allow, again, the Lord to speak to your heart, he's going to guide and direct you in areas that other people aren't involved in. And you're going to say, well, how come, how come they're not? How come other people aren't? And God's going to say, no, that's none of your business. I'm calling you there. Philip didn't say, well, how come Peter's not coming with me? He just said, I'll go. Again, guys, the answer is Jesus. No matter what anyone is facing, and that's what Philip brings to them. And we see in verse 9, we're introduced to another person in our story. There was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing people of the, the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great, and they all, from smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. Here we see Simon performing this magic arts. Again, black magic, however you want to, witchcraft proclaiming to be someone great. And again, I point that out. That's always a danger sign, somebody proclaiming to be something great. But notice they were giving him attention. And before we move on, just a couple of quick points. Notice that he was doing this for an extended period of time. And it is speaking of not just sleight of hand. There was actual, actual stuff going on unexplainable, supernatural things. And we need to understand the, the enemy that we face, the enemy of our souls has power. And black magic, witchcraft, the occult, nothing to be messed with. Nothing to be played with. Nothing to be experimented in. Ouija boards and, and, and that. It's not harmless. It is not harmless. And it stretches as far as astrology, horoscopes, all of that stuff. If you read your horoscope this morning, make this morning the last time you ever do that. Because we have no business in that. It's not harmless. The enemy has power, but, but his power falls far short of the power that is in us because Christ is in us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Not to fear it, but guys, don't mess with it. Don't mess around. It's very real. People were paying attention, giving him attention. But, I love this, verse 12, but when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, men and women alike. Magic is no substitute for the good news of Jesus Christ. Counterfeit is no substitute for the real thing. And look at verse 13, even Simon himself believed 
And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. People hearing the word, they're believed and are baptized. Samaritans, a vast number of them, so many Jews, Jews would have thought Samaritans could never get saved. They're, they're completely outside. Here we see a vast number of them coming to salvation. And we see Simon. Now there is debate about whether Simon is truly saved here. And some point to the fact in the verses that we're going to cover in a moment that it wasn't, that it wasn't real. But Luke, to me, leaves little doubt in what he says here. The word believed there is the same word he uses to talk about the Samaritans believed. Same word. Baptized. Same word. By the way, the same believed there is the same word in John 3.16. To me, it leaves, leaves no doubt. Simon became a believer. A born-again believer here. Believing and is baptized. Verse 14, it says, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for because he, that is the Holy Spirit, not it, he, the third person in the triune God that we worship, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he had not yet fallen upon any of them, but they'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Word gets to Jerusalem where the apostles still are all gathered. Everyone else had told us earlier has scattered about. The apostles still have their headquarters in Jerusalem. Word gets back. Man, this work that is going on in Samaria, many have come to faith because of what Philip is doing up there. But as of yet... The Holy Spirit has not come upon them. And here we see again a clear indication, we spoke of this a few weeks ago, that, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon a believer, can happen at the moment that someone is saved, but it doesn't always happen then. It's a separate experience where the, the Spirit comes upon a believer to equip them and empower them for the work that they are called to do. We saw that in the disciples when Jesus said, go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you, and that happened at Pentecost. And here we see that same thing happening here. Need to understand that, again, there's, a two, uh, there's two separate parts of this. The Holy Spirit comes into the life of a believer upon regeneration. That's true for everyone who accepts the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit is in you. There's one spirit, one baptism, that, where we are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And then when we have water baptism, that is an outward expression of that inward baptism that has already taken place. By the way, I don't know if you noticed when you came in that the ground is broken out there, the plumbing's in for the baptismal that is going to be going in and be doing baptisms here in hopefully just a few weeks. Yeah, amen. But we see here now that they go... Peter and John, to lay hands on them so the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And we'll see in a moment that when that happens, there was manifestations of that. It doesn't tell us what. But no doubt that the power had come upon this group of believers and would go out from there. The word, the gospel, would spread out throughout Samaria from what is taking place here. Now it says in verse 18, now... When Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone 
whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourself so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Simon, again, brand new believer, believing here that he could get some of this power back that he had before, where everybody thought that he was something special. Everybody thought that, that and, and they came to him, and he was elevated in this. And he said, man, if I could have what that, because he saw what took place after they laid hands on people, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. He's like, man, if I had that, and he said, I got, I got some money, I'll buy that. And Peter said, you can't buy the gift of God. You can't earn the gift of God. And guys, we, we have to understand that. And, and we look at that at the surface and we say, okay, yeah, none of us would say, yeah, I can't buy God's gifts. I get that. But in our hearts sometimes, don't we live that way? God, I need you to bless me this week. So I'm going to get up extra early all week long and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible and I'm going to pray. I'm going to tithe more this week so that because I really need your help next week, God. And, and we're doing the same thing Simon is saying. Buying the gift of God. If we buy it, guys, it's no longer a gift. And every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. He knows what's best for us, and his desire is to give that to us. We, we respond, we don't earn. But I, I look at this, and I think it's, and this is where the debate comes in. And saying, well, see, it's obvious that he wasn't truly born again based on what took place here. But I would argue, isn't it possible for a true born-again believer to have a heart that's not right with God? I mean, we, to, to get behind, it, it's, it, we're talking something totally separate from external action. We're talking about heart. And is it, is it possible to have a heart that's not that's not fully right with God? And the answer is yes, as a born-again believer. And one of the evidences that we know that in and of ourselves from time to time is saying, oh, Lord, I know that this isn't right right now. That's an evidence that the Holy Spirit is in you. And we see that here laid out. And again, I believe that it, it goes back with, with Simon to the, the, the oldest issue and the one that we all struggle with from time to time, pride, envy. No doubt now envious of, of Peter and John as to what is going on. And if we're not careful, we can, we can deceive ourselves into thinking, you know what, that's not, that's not that bad of a sin, that's not, the, you know, at least I don't want to kill somebody. At least it's not something like that. It's just, you know, yeah, I just, I just want, to, I want to be recognized a little more. I want, to, I want to get a little bit more credit for what goes on around here, right? Well, James tells us, guys, that that is nothing again to be messed with. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie to the truth. If you have jealousy and ambition in your heart, he's saying, 
Don't deceive yourself. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. And James is writing to believers. So bottom line, yes, that's, the answer is yes. Our, it, it is possible to be a born-again believer and have our hearts not right with the Lord. So what do we do about that? Well, Peter tells Simon what he needs to do. Repent. Repent. To repent means to change direction. And by the way, repenting is not a one-time action as a believer. Yes, it needs to be the thing that we do when we come to Christ. Everybody must repent and turn to the Lord. But the, act, the, the evidence that you at one time repented in your life is that you continue to repent, to turn back, to give our hearts to say, Lord, change this in me. If we refuse to do that, it, it's outlined for us. Peter tells Simon what, what is ahead for him. He says, I can sense it. I can see it already. Bitterness and bondage. That's what lies ahead if we harden our hearts to what the Holy Spirit is leaning on us. And by the way, the longer you walk with the Lord and the closer you are to him, the shorter leash he puts on you for that. <laughs> Bitterness and bondage. But if we do repent, oh, it's, it's glorious. We get, we get reinvigorated. The Lord, if we give him our heart and say, this isn't right with you, I know it's not. Here's my heart, Lord, change it. It tells us if we delight ourselves in the Lord, we give him that opportunity, he will give us the desires of our heart. He'll pour his desires in. And then he'll, he'll abundantly bless that. And then he'll use us. I, I, see this, I, I, I see this great outline here even with Peter as to how he's dealing with Simon. Now, we can look at it. It's pretty harsh, but it needed to be with Simon. He needed to cut this off right now with Simon. But if he was just dismissing him and, and sending him on a one-way ticket to hell, he wouldn't have said, Simon, here's what you need to do and do it right now. Repent. And I believe the evidence that he did was a brokenness in him. I, you see it in the last verse we just looked at. He says, you pray for me. I don't want any of that. But we see again an, an, an outline for us as the church. And again, as the church, all of us. Paul again writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. That's the role of all of us, using the word of God, lovingly coming alongside. He said in Galatians, brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one with the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. The spirit of gentleness, guys, it's got to be full of grace. Again, because we've been shown grace. We have to extend grace. To one another, coming alongside each other, using the word of God to exhort one another with patience, gentleness. And we see again, I believe here, a great example of what takes place in that. We don't have any, few, any, 
any further explanation of what takes place on that. We're going to pick up next week in verse 25 as we move through, like I said, the sequel of Philip part one. But I believe that Simon was repentant at this moment. But in, in this whole process, in all of this that we're looking at, everything that we've looked at today, guys, we need the Holy Spirit. None of this is possible in and of our own self, in and of our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us to be being filled. It's a continual activity, a continual action. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we again come to this, this point as is inevitable any time that we open your word with truly a heart that says, reveal yourself to us. Because Lord, when you reveal yourself to us, we can't help but to come to this point of, of humility, but of, of great wonder. Lord, we thank you for the cleansing work that you've done in us and that you desire to do in us even now. Lord, as we prepare our hearts for worship, Lord, we give you license right now, each one of us, individually right now, we say, God, examine me. And if there is any, any part of our hearts that is not right with you, show that to us, and Lord, we repent. Right now, we turn from it. We, we lift our hearts to you, Lord, and say, you change it. Give us your heart. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the amazing grace, the incredible mercy that has found us. If you're here today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never trusted in him and him alone for your salvation, you've never made him Lord of your life, don't run anymore. Don't harden your heart anymore. Humble yourself right now before God and just go before him and say, God, I, I realize that my heart is not right with you. I realize that my life is going the wrong direction and I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of trying to work my way. I need a savior. I need my sins forgiven. And Jesus, I believe that you died to forgive my sins. I believe that you rose again and you're alive today. So I invite you to come into my life and to cleanse me. Give me eternal life. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, we thank you all. We all thank you for that work that you've done in each of us. And Lord, we want to be examples of grace. Lord, we want to stand in the gap. We want to be used by you. We want to take what the enemy means 
for destruction, Lord, and allow you to use it for good, for your glory. Lord, regardless of our past, regardless of what you've rescued us out of, we give you that. We ask that you would, again, be glorified in that because of your grace. But Lord, we know that all of this is only possible through the power of your spirit. So Lord, we ask as we worship you now that you would pour your spirit out upon us in abundance, Lord, that, that torrents of living water would flow out of this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand? Let's worship the Lord together this morning. And if you need prayer for any reason, I'd like to invite you to come forward. Our pastors and elders will be up front to, to pray with you. If you prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior this morning, we'd love to pray with you and we have some information we'd like to give you. So let's, let's worship together. Lord, I seek you. Help me find you. How I need your touch. Find my dry Go! 
Let's pray. 
this morning. We want more and more of your life to invade ours. Indeed, Lord, that your breath would become our very own, that your life would be manifest in us. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life of you, that I may love what you would love. Till my heart is pure, 
Lord, that is our prayer as we go from this place today. We pray that we would indeed experience your breath, not only upon us, but in us and through us. We thank you, Lord, that it is your desire to set us alight, to set us on fire for you. And that's what our prayer is, Lord, that our souls would be on fire for you and for you alone. We ask, Lord, for your blessing as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you, if you want to continue to worship, we'll stay here and do that for a bit. God bless you.